St. Francis of Assisi, a mirror of Christ. of Christ our Lord and the ideal of gospel life been more faithfully and strikingly expressed than in Francis. For this reason, he has been justly styled the second Christ because he appeared like Christ reborn to his contemporaries, no less than to later ages, with the result that he lives today in the eyes of men and will live unto posterity. Thus the words of Pope Pius XI, describing St. Francis of Assisi, the little poor man, the troubadour, and the second Christ, who gave to the world a living, vibrant example of the ideal Christian, one who truly mirrors the life of Christ. Francis's life was the life of a loving disciple, obeying his master's every wish, so much so that he actually seemed to become transformed into the likeness of Christ, both physically and spiritually. The image of Jesus was spiritually expressed through Francis in many ways, in his deep spiritual joy, in his love for all creation, in his charity, but it was by living and reflecting what are perhaps the three main characteristics of his master that Francis became the perfect image of his Lord. These three characteristics or qualities, so strikingly and uniquely expressed in the life of Jesus of Nazareth, are poverty, humility, and suffering. examine each of these three areas and show the manner in which Francis mirrored these qualities in his life. It is important to note that only the original sources concerning St. Francis, the authentic writings of Francis, early biographies and legends, have been used to provide evidence for this study, thereby providing in the simple language of the time the authentic opinion and viewpoint of those who lived closest to the saint. Christ demonstrated poverty and simplicity throughout his lifetime, and furthermore, it is clear that he counseled poverty for his disciples, not just in spirit, but in actual deed. As Christ stated, If you wish to be perfect, go and sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Francis took these words to heart. 
Instead of looking upon this passage as an outmoded directive meant only for the disciples at the time of Christ, Francis obeyed this command literally, indeed making it the cornerstone for the religious life which he established. Thus, in the original rule for the order, Francis states, If anyone is inspired by God to live our life and comes to our brothers, the candidate should sell all his possessions and give the money to the poor if he is willing and able to do so in conscience and without hindrance. Furthermore, Francis literally followed Christ's more specific directions for a life in poverty. As he stated, But when on a certain day the Gospels read in church how the Lord sent his disciples out to preach, the Holy Francis, hearing that the disciples of Christ should not possess gold or silver or money, nor carry along the way script, or wallet, or bread, or a staff, that they should not have shoes or two tunics, but that they should preach the kingdom of God and penance, immediately cried out exultingly, This is what I wish, this is what I seek, this is what I long to do with all my heart. Then the Holy Father, overflowing with joy, immediately put off his shoes from his feet, put aside the staff from his hands, was content with one tunic, and exchanged his leather girdle for a small cord. Francis called poverty a royal virtue, a special way to salvation, and was so dedicated to this ideal in the cause of Christ that he dubbed the virtue his Lady Poverty, with whom he would be forever enamored. His determination to follow Christ's command to the letter even went to what many considered some embarrassing extremes, as when, for example, Francis, in a spirit of zeal, began to tear down piece by piece a modest dwelling built for him and his brothers. Although built in a spirit of charity and gratitude by the townsfolk, it was still a possession, and since Christ had nowhere to lay his head, neither would Francis. Also, there is the story of Francis driving out not only his brothers, but even the sick from a dwelling said to be in the order's name. And lastly, there is the tale of the brother who made the mistake of touching money. Thomas of Solano, an early biographer of Francis, narrates, That friend of God, Francis, despised very greatly all the things of this world, but he cursed money more than all of the things. It happened, therefore, one day that a certain secular person entered the church to pray, and he left some money near the cross as an offering. When he had gone, one of the brothers simply touched it with his hand and threw it on the window sill. The saint heard what the brother had done and rebuked him and upbraided him most severely because he had touched the money. He commanded him to lift the money from the window sill with his mouth and to place it upon with his mouth on the ass's dung outside the walls of the place. The brother gladly fulfilled the command. It should not be assumed that Francis' apparent fanatical appreciation and following of poverty was simply a rigid adhering to the letter of the law. Francis, like Christ, had a deep feeling and love for the poor. Indeed, he would say that he would feel ashamed to see anyone poorer than himself and would immediately give away his tunic or whatever he had in order to remain the poorest of the poor. As with Christ, the poor and deprived were Francis' beloved ones and he was always with them, 
living amongst them as one of them, and rendering every possible kind of service. For example, like Christ, he would have compassion and miraculously heal many who came to him, and with the power of his Lord, make the lame walk and the deaf hear. Francis' outlook on poverty involved more than an external offering of one's possessions. It also involved giving up one's inner possessions as well, thus sharing in a most complete sense the second aspect of Christ's life which Francis mirrored so well, humility. To quote the Franciscan Placid Herman, Francis' poverty was not restricted to material poverty, to the mere renunciation of ownership of material goods, or even to austerity in the simple use of things. His poverty included also a complete renunciation of self in the deepest humility. Francis' renunciation was absolute, a total immolation of himself. This immolation of self for Francis was nothing more than an imitation, however slight, of Christ's immolation in becoming man. As Francis himself used to say, Christ's very descent to share our misery and become our Lord and teacher was alone an indication of his profound humility. And furthermore, Francis again desired to follow Christ's example to the letter. For him, the passage counseling the renunciation of all that one possesses meant a giving up of any and all forms of ego gratification. Thus we have the charming tales of Francis' attempts at relinquishing his ego in favor of living in and for God only. For example, there is the story of how Brother Maceo tested St. Francis' humility in which he degrades Francis, asking him why the world seems to be following such a man of little merit. Francis replies, God's eyes have not seen among sinners anyone more vile or insufficient than I am. And so in order to do that wonderful work which he intends to do, he did not find on earth a viler creature, and therefore he chose me. For God has chosen the base things of the world and the despised to bring to naught the noble and great and strong so that all excellence in virtue may be from God and not from the creature in order that no creature should glory before him but let him who takes pride take pride in the Lord that honor and glory may be God's forever. But Francis' humility was not expressed only in such pious exclamations. In many varied, lifelike situations, 
he displayed his Christ-like humility, even to the extent of bowing down and kissing the feet of lepers. Francis welcomed admonitions or advice not only from his superiors or equals, but even from those under him. For example, a peasant working in the fields came up to Francis and said, Try to be as good as you are said to be by all men, for many put their trust in you. Therefore, I admonish you never to be other than you are expected to be. Francis, in typical fashion, reacted the following way. But when the man of God, Francis, heard this, he got down from the ass and threw himself before the peasant and humbly kissed his feet, thanking him for being kind enough to give him this admonition. Francis was so dedicated to sister humility, as he called it, that he even renounced his status as superior and guide of his beloved order, preferring to remain a subject and in the background. But perhaps the most humble act of Francis was his acceptance of suffering, which he was given in great abundance. This suffering, the final characteristic of Christ, which Francis reflected so completely, was endured by the saint throughout his life and always with great patience and gratitude. This humble and gracious acceptance of any and all physical ailment was, in the eyes of Francis, merely in obedience to his master's counsel for all of his followers to renounce himself and take up his cross and follow me. Therefore, Francis, longing to be the perfect image of Christ, kept the suffering of his Lord before him always, keeping in mind Christ's fasting, his deprivation, and above all, his passion and crucifixion. Focusing of the mind on Christ meant an incredible endurance when it came to Francis's own suffering. Indeed, he would not only do his best to ignore the suffering, but would, with all his various ailments, ignore any cure or help for his torment. As his biographer states, Blessed Francis suffered for a long time from his liver, spleen, and stomach, right up to the time of his death. In addition to that, he had contracted a very serious disease of the eyes, but the love that filled his soul since his conversion to Christ was so ardent that despite the prayers of his brothers and of many other men moved by compassion and pity, he did not trouble himself about taking care of his sicknesses. However, Francis did want his brothers to take care of themselves, and thus he posed a paradoxical case of not practicing what he preached. This even went so far as to demand a rebuke from the local bishop, who, upon seeing his severe eye trouble, said to Francis, Brother, it is not good to refuse to have your eyes treated, for your health and your life are very useful, both to yourself and to others. You who have always sympathized with the ills of your brothers should not have such cruelty towards yourself, for this sickness is serious, and you are in great and evident need. That is why I command you to get relief and submit to treatment. Francis, of course, obeyed. 
However, despite such an extreme lack of concern for the welfare of his own body, an attitude which he later regretted, Francis retained the characteristic posture of Jesus by, during his sufferings, turning his eyes to those around him. Like Christ on the cross, who extended his thoughts and energy to his mother, the thieves, and to his beloved disciple, Francis extended himself to his beloved brethren. For example, there is a time when Francis, unable to sleep because of suffering, had urged his brothers to keep patient while serving him so as not to offend God, thus displaying a deeper concern for their souls than for his own body. Also there is the scene of Francis on his deathbed, blessing and counseling his brothers, that he might show himself to be a true imitator of Christ his God in all things, he loved to the end his brothers and sons whom he had loved from the beginning. He had all his brothers present there called to him, and soothing them with comforting words in view of his death, he exhorted them with paternal affection to love God. He spoke a long time about practicing patience and poverty, setting the counsels of the Holy Gospel ahead of all other prescriptions. Then, with all the brothers sitting about, he extended his right hand over them and, placing it upon the head of each one, he said, Farewell, all of you, my sons, in the fear of the Lord, and may you remain in him always. the most sublime expression of Francis' imitation of Christ's suffering was to be found in his bearing of the stigmata. The stigmata was the supreme mystic act. It was the appearance of the five wounds of Christ. And this appearance on his body gave him the unbearable pain to his flesh and to his physical senses. From the time Francis first bore the stigmata, given by Christ in the form of a seraph on Mount Alverna, to his death two years later, Francis carried great joy and peace in his heart. For while retaining his profound humility, he was blissful of his oneness with the likeness of his master. In fact, the great contemporary spiritual master, and avatar, Meher Baba, stated that Francis became a perfect master at this time, the only recognized saint in the West to achieve such a high status of perfection while still in the body.
Having now examined these three basic qualities, it should not be assumed that the various heroics of Francis concerning poverty, humility, and suffering were all his own doing. He had help, divine help, which Francis was only too ready to admit. However, that a soul would maintain such tremendous willpower to serve and obey God in all things, without exception, is what makes Francis's life and the expression of these three traits so amazing. As a final example of how Francis displayed lady poverty, sister humility, and sister suffering, we give another scene of Francis approaching sister death. Christ's humble beggar with the wounds of Christ's renounces to the end even the simple habit which he wore. As his biographer states, in his last serious illness, which was destined to put an end to all his suffering, he had himself laid naked in the bare earth, so that with all the fervor of his spirit he might struggle naked with the naked enemy in that last hour which is given him to vent his wrath. His companions were overcome with sorrow and wept bitterly. One of them, whom the saint called his guardian, and was inspired by God, and took a habit with a cord and trousers and offered them to Christ's beggar. As he realized, this is what he wanted. I am giving you the loan of these, he said, as a beggar, and you are to take them in virtue of obedience. The saint was delighted, and his heart overflowed with happiness. This proved that he had kept his faith with Lady Poverty to the end. He had acted as he did in his anxiety for poverty, and he was unwilling even to keep a habit unless it was on loan. Christ hung upon his cross, poor and naked and in great pain, and Francis wanted to be like him in everything. in everything Francis surely was. Despite his blatant eccentricities of poverty, his sometimes extreme emotional display of humility, and his apparent carelessness with suffering, Francis remains the supreme mirror of Christ, presenting the ideal life of self-sacrifice and love. 